Welcome back to the Tell It Like It Is podcast. I'm your host, Cassandra Ray. Today, we have another special bonus episode for you. If you are a regular listener, you know that we have had the incredible, insightful, very witty, very talented Alexa shown on not once, but twice. Alexa and I met, I don't know, maybe about a year ago, um, maybe a little bit maybe a little bit before that, maybe a little bit after that, but have um, have become very good friends in a, in a short space of time. And you'll see that when we get together, we just like to explore lots of different topics in, in real depth. Um, we can talk forever, and we often do. Um, and not everything can make it through to the final cut, but she's so insightful and she has you know, the ability to be so honest about things. And, you know, she's very, very confident and, you know, as I mentioned, very talented and accomplished. And I just really didn't want to lose her insight. And so today we're going to share with you some of my favorite cut pieces from one of our interviews. Um, Here we talk about economic insecurity and the COVID crisis and... Um, and the differences between Europe and, and the U.S. You know, we're both American living living in Europe now. We talk about sexuality and work, sexuality and power, what it means to be, you know, potentially not trophy wife material in, uh, in a very corporate environment. And we talk about being honest about what it takes to present yourself looking and being as close to perfect as you possibly can, um, and why that's not something we can achieve every single day. So I hope you enjoy it. I think you'll see the the questions are often long winded, which is which is usually the ones that end up being cut. But but I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. You know, when we were thinking about doing this podcast and what would be of value to people, um, I kept coming back to these areas that are so fundamental to how we exist uh, and whether or not we can live fulfilled lives and yet are kind of in, we're in the dark about, um, which for me, particularly when it comes to women, uh, money, power, and sex. Yeah. And what is happening in the world right now feels like a lot of that is intertwined. Um, and I'm looking at America right now in particular and thinking and comparing it to, you know, we're both from there. We both live in London. So I think, can, you know, have a, have a, holistic view. I know we both also lived in uh, a number of other countries. And here, for example, um, our unemployment numbers are not that bad, um, particularly given the scale of the economic contraction, but they've been buoyed by the furlough scheme and various European countries and most other places have had something similar. There's nothing like that in America. If you want that kind of support, you have to be fired, you have to be laid off. And so we see it all in the unemployment numbers. And I've been thinking a lot about how that, you know, intersects with, with people's power. If you have so little power, if you feel like you have so little power over these decisions that can be made about your income or, or your livelihood or your security within a week or two, you know, like 
I don't know. I'm not asking a good question, but yeah, no, but I, I can kind of latch onto that because I think I was thinking about this, especially, you know, yes, of course, COVID-19 and, and I hate that the ruling 1% class or 1% of the 1% refers to it as the great pause. Mm. It is the most tone deaf thing that anyone has ever said ever. <laughs> uh, and they've done all these studies now on how rich people are actually just getting a whole bunch of stuff on sale. And it's like so fun yeah. to kind of just have to sit at home and have taco Tuesday night. Can I can I just interject with this? Uh, getting a whole bunch of stuff on sale. Yeah. I, I thought incredibly there was an incredibly tone deaf um, email marketing campaign I got from the robo investor that I have my um, my Roth IRA with. Mm. Which you know, sorry for the international audience, but it's, you know where Americans yeah. have to like invest like an ISA. Uh, yeah, it's like an ISA. Um, anyway, and and when the market was dipping, they sent an email and they said the stock market's on sale. Yeah. Now it's time to take advantage. Yeah. And of course it is, that is what a lot of rich people are doing, but I just thought, Oh my God, you know, we're, we're, we're all just so frightened and people don't know they're going to be able to pay the rent. They don't know, you know, yeah. where their careers are going to go, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that is just this giant kind of source of frustration for me. But, uh, last week, uh, with all the George Floyd protests, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do to be able to contribute because actually we started looking into numbers and I, and I don't want a cookie for this or anything. We started looking at numbers of like, okay, wh- what actually happens to black unemployment historically when there are periods of civil unrest? And we looked mm. back at the sixties and seventies and actually black unemployment tends to rise over the next 20 years as almost like payback and retribution after periods of civil unrest. And actually the unemployment numbers that just came out in the U.S. last week uh, or earlier this week show the same thing, which is that black unemployment actually has increased, even though all other unemployment has decreased in the States just in the last month. Mm. Uh, And it sort of inspired me to think about the mission statement of Entry Level Boss. We're a career education company. Like you said, we specialize in the art of the job search. But I was like, what are we doing here? Like, what's the actual point? And I was proud of myself for coming up with a, a good new mission statement, which speaks to your point about power, which is we want to help good people get great jobs so that they can enact social change from a professional position of influence and a personal position of financial freedom. Yes. And yes. to me, it's so much like putting on your own oxygen mask on the plane. And, you know, I, of course, did the same thing that every well-intentioned, moronic, white startup founder thought to do, which is like, should we have a statement for the company and, you know, and trying to do good things. Mm. But what we wound up doing instead was just by Friday, getting back to work and getting back to work for us means that on Friday, we usually host a free career clinic on Instagram live where you can just come and ask me for my advice about your resume or talk to me about your job search or whatever. And whether that is uh, specifically related to supporting our, our black students and customers or to supporting anybody with employment, but particularly people who are underestimated and underrepresented in positions of power, the best thing that I feel like I can help you do is to get yourself in mm. where, wherever you need to get yourself into, because I see what's happened over, you know, I think the course of, uh, just the internet economy and post global financial crisis and all that is getting a good job is not 
something that you get because you checked off boxes and get university degrees or whatever. It is something that happens because you know how to play the game of mm. getting into corporate and then kind of presenting yourself as this expert. And so much of it is really a personal branding exercise. Yes. Uh, and that feels unfair and that feels like cheating and that is not common knowledge to a lot of people. And even a lot of people who play the game don't necessarily think about it that way, but it is and always has been, in my opinion, a curriculum that you can teach. And it's why I wake up in the morning is because it's so important to me that this kind of information not just get passed around certain kinds of dinner tables is the way that I phrase it in the book, mm -hmm. right? And like, oh, well, here's how you actually kind of network and, you know, and here's how you go shake hands with somebody. And, and it mostly gets passed around much, much, much more uh, with men than women, but even still, you know, intersectionally, it's a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> how does sex and how does your sexuality show up in your work? Oh, wow. What a question. So something that I have, well, I would say thought about a, a fair amount actually is uh, that I think that I have benefited wildly in the workplace. And I'm not giving myself and my personality and my skill set enough credit here. But even with all those things, I think I've benefited wildly because uh, I've always been a plus size woman, which takes me out of the running for a lot of my male colleagues who might otherwise... I don't know, cause an issue. <laughs> mm. um, and that's not to say that I don't fancy certain people. It's not to say I haven't slept with accidental people at the Christmas party and whatever. <laughs> uh, but I think that I, you know, I've kind of fluctuated between like a U.S. size 12 and, and 18 for basically my entire working life. Uh, and that takes me out of the running for some men. And I think that has been completely productive for me in facilitating new connections or making sure that I'm getting into certain rooms or whatever, mm. because whether they could vocalize or not, I'm not seen as a distraction. And I also sort of, I think, use it to my um, advantage quite knowingly because I also sort of present as like a very alpha personality. I always joke and I say that I actually have the secret personality of like a 57 year old white businessman. <laughs> like when I get into any kind of rooms and I've seen this happen, I remember I was in a, um, a kind of crazy situation. I was living in Berlin when I was about 25 and I was reporting straight to the CPO chief product officer of Rocket Internet, which is one of the biggest tech companies in, in Germany. And I was basically licensed out to portfolio companies of theirs in order to go basically coach their CEO on certain kinds of content marketing stuff. Mm. And I remember I was in a room with, you know, the CEO and their chief marketing officer, both of them were men, both of whom were at least 10 years older than me. And I was kind of walking them through something and I was like, okay, yeah, the strategy, whatever. And at some point they got all excited and they're like, oh great, we could just get the marketing girls to do that. And it was this interesting, like, oh, like you don't view me that way. Mm but you think of the marketing girls as the marketing girls. Right. And that was, I think, just one example of a time when that's been very, very helpful to me in my career. Hmm. Interesting. And do you, I mean, do you think that it's genuinely that, um, you know, you, uh, the, the men around you might not fancy you, or do you think it's that you tell yourself, I'm not fanciable and therefore you know, I'm not even going to contemplate this and then you behave a certain way. Oh, sure. Well, that's something I should probably be debunking in the next 20 to 30 years of the 
but but I do genuinely think that it's a little bit of both because yeah. you talk about sexuality and power for men is I think actually there are plenty of men who do fancy me but take me out of the running because it's a status symbol for them to have a hot skinny wife mm-hmm. and they know that that is part of their career growth is to sort of have this trophy wife that they can kind of show off at fundraising meetings and and there's that whole unspoken world as well uh, I'd like to think that no, nobody you'd want. I mean, <laughs> nobody no. good enough for you, Alexa. No, no, here's to that. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I, I recall being told by um, somebody that I had a distinctly not dating, but otherwise amazing uh, interlude with um, that. Uh, and I was asking him for some um, career advice at one point, and I just plain asked him. I said, you know. I have the impression that men just do this unconscious thing, straight men, I should say, that when they meet a woman, every single woman is just immediately categorized into fuckable and not fuckable. Mm-hmm. And there's no way, I mean, every time you're presenting to clients or presenting to whatever, they're, they're just thinking fuckable, not fuckable. And he said, yeah. <laughs> I, you know how, of course, in the movies and everything, they rate women out of 10 or whatever. I had this friend of mine in college, just this hilarious guy I'm so close with to these days. He works in quantum computing. Hmm. But he had this really dorky way of explaining that as he was like, yeah, like every woman is either a zero or a one. It's like a you yeah. did or would sleep with her or you wouldn't. And then he was like, but then you also got to get the negative integers involved. And I was like, what does that mean? And he was like, well, some women you would classify as a minus one, which is you didn't say she was fuckable, but then you did fuck her. And so then, <laughs> so then she is actually a one. <laughs> and I was like, great, that math checks out. Yeah. I mean, if only female sexuality were that binary. So switching topics slightly, um, you know, you talked a little bit about one woman who had, was instrumental to your certainly story of becoming a, uh, not really becoming a founder, but actually getting investment yeah. so you could scale your business. Are there other women who have been in your life who you particularly admire? I really, and this is something that I hope to do for others, but it's also something that I really, really, really find admirable is the women who you know, intentionally show up as imperfect in order to make a safe space for other women to give themselves a break. Hmm. Uh, And so I think a great example of that is uh, I I used to work in technology at Facebook and there's a VP of design there. She actually created this position for herself. She's now the VP of uh, ethics for all of Facebook, uh, which is an interesting situation. She's given amazing TED Talks and her name is Margaret Stewart. I would love to have drinks with her. Yes, (laughs) she's phenomenally cool. But she talks all the time about how like she just went to art school and like it was like a weird accident that she wound up in tech and like mm. she sort of explains her career growth in a way that feels like the happy accident that so many success stories are. And yes, she's super smart. And yes, you know, she's incredible. And I, you know, kind of get a little bit like of stage fright whenever I message her. Uh, but I think that that to me is such an admirable quality. And I think we all know many, many quote unquote admirable women who seem so annoyingly put together and I don't want to 
put that down. But I think sometimes when you're trying to figure out how you're going to improve, you know, and you're just sitting there staring at somebody's blow dry and you're like, Mm. it's eight o'clock in the morning. Like, Mm -hmm. how do you have a blowout Mm -hmm. at eight o'clock in the morning? Yeah. Because you had somebody came to your house and give you a blowout at seven. I mean, that's how you have perfect hair. That's the only way to do it. Yeah. I'm a hundred percent with you. And I just feel like this, I think, I think I have a phrase I usually use, which is, you know, over-filtered, over-Instagrammed world, right? It doesn't do us a service. It's actually, it's much better to know, hey, you look great. And it took you three hours to look that great. And you will not invest that three hours every single day. This is not how you woke up looking like, you know, and that's just with looks, but with everything, right? Nobody got anywhere in life without the help of some other people. Yeah. Um, so I feel like the more we can be honest about the full view the more people can follow in those footsteps. Otherwise we will opt out because we'll say that's, that's just so far from anything that's achievable for me. Yeah. And it's something that I take a lot of pride in, in my own work as somebody who I think would be quoted as being admirable to others, uh, which I've, you know, architected for myself and I've allowed that to happen. But uh, I was reading a review of, my book the other day and the reviews. Why of, were you reading a review of your book? Uh, because, because it was an email that somebody had sent to me. Okay. Like, right. like, directly, directly emailed me, I should say, but they, you know, reviewed the book. And then I was like, please put this on Amazon. And, uh, but, uh, they basically were like, Oh my gosh, it is so satisfying to read a book about employment from somebody who doesn't present themselves as holier than thou. Mm. We've all been unemployed. We've all been job seekers. We've all learned from our mistakes. Yeah. And a lot of the things that I do in the book, for example, are show very sweet, well-intentioned, terrible emails that I wrote when I was 22, trying to network, you know, correctly. And they were just all wrong. Yeah. Um, And I think that that sort of I don't know, level of unfilteredness. And of course I'm doing it all for educational moments and everything. The book is in a place for a reason. Uh, But I think that really, really helps people. Mm. Yeah. If you've enjoyed the series so far, please do subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It really does help put the series in front of more badass women and a few men too, by increasing how we rank. As always, if you've got a story and you want to tell it like it is, I'd love to hear from you. Get in touch with me over at soapbox.work.